You're listening to another great show from the Nod Network. Find more great content at nerdod.com. This is Heroes Needed, the Overwatch Players Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Richard. And we are back once again with an episode which is going to feature talk on the Overwatch League quite heavily this episode. Yeah. So if you're not already a fan of the League, I'd recommend you press pause, go watch a game, and then come back and listen to this. Go watch Game 3 of, uh, you know, of Philly versus Florida. Game 3, we talked about it last week. Go see that. Yeah. And then come back and listen. Go watch that. And if you're not a fan of Overwatch League by the end of that, then I, it, I don't know what to tell. I can't help you. Question your life choices Cannot at that stage. Help you. Question them. So, uh, we're back again in a noisy coffee donut shop, so when you hear a bunch of background noise, that might be what it is, but, you know, we're out amongst the people, which I think is important. Amongst the people and the donuts. (laughs) So, uh, let's talk, first of all, um, about what, again, I think it's it's Philly for me, they're a team of firsts, and in this case, it's a sad first, which is, I think, I believe, the league's first injury report. Yep. Absolutely. With a player near and dear to my heart, the player EQO from the Philly Fusion, who was out of a, uh, a match against uh, New York with a wrist injury. Yeah. Which, when you think about it, if you're going to injure anything in Overwatch, it's probably going to be your wrist. Yeah, it's it's that's the you know the, the football player's hamstring. That's that's yep. that is the key muscle there is going to be your wrist. Yeah. And I think that when you see him play, uh, we were talking about this in the last episode, the idea of the coordination and the movement yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I can imagine you would get strained. He's played a lot of games in a row. Uh, there's a lot of players who have been playing a lot of Overwatch. Yeah. So it's very easy that they could have a, either a strain injury or something that would cause them to miss games. So I understand that. Most definitely. Uh, get better soon, EQO. Yeah, you know, I, I, in a way, I kind of hope that it was an injury from practice. And not just you know a, a tragic accident outside of practice That's as true. well because we That's don't true. know when this happened. Um, it's only fairly recent development. I'm sure they'll show more with us later on. Um, but uh, in other words, I hope it's not a fracture or yeah. a fall oh, yeah, or yeah, something yeah, like that. I hope it's more like a sprain that will and heal. And in fairness, by the time this podcast goes out, he probably will be better back <laughs> in the league. Are so. <laughs> final. Put some ice on yeah. it. We're speaking from the past. Up. We're speaking from the great. past. What it does mean, though, and silver linings, it does mean that we get to see, well we. We are now speaking after the New York Excel game. Um, we got to see the reintroduction of Shadowburn for yeah. the first time yeah, in, in quite Burn's a few back. weeks. Do love a bit of Shadowburn, and it was quite nice to see he got a proper cheer in the, the Blizzard <laughs> Arena when they put him up on the big screen. And heroes welcome, yeah. And it was the world needs more heroes welcomes. Um, <laughs> and it was it was quite nice to see him back in the team because he's a player who was instrumental for Philly in the first couple stages for definite. Absolutely. Um, well, definitely the first stage more yeah. than anything else, and. Yeah, seeing him come back in the league, it was quite nice, despite the fact that it wasn't the best reason why he was back in that particular game. Sure. But he was back, and it was nice to see. Yeah, I mean, it's strange, because we're, we're not that far into this to talk about nostalgia, but it's nice to see that in a way that does kind of feel like a small version of nostalgia. Yeah. To see that name upon that screen again and go, yes, I enjoy watching this. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the great things about League. Everybody does have their distinct play style. A win is a win, but the way that they get there is still so unique that when you have one different player you're kind of going, ah, oh, this feels different. This looks different yeah. uh, in terms of what you're actually watching. And it was great. That cheer, he actually cracked a smile. And he's oh. famous for not really ever smiling. He's, uh, 
he's, so, he's, a, he's a stern Russian man. Yeah, he's he a serious chap, is our George Kusha. <laughs> serious chap. So, uh, moving on with the league. So, we want to talk about um, something which is, uh, again, Philly heavy, but it's about teams that don't quite have the consistency. Yep. Because you have teams like uh, MYXL, you have teams like London Spitfire, up until recently Boston Uprising, yep. teams who are consistently, LA Valiant now yep. are on Soul a bit Dynasty of a run. in a lot of ways yeah. in the early stages at are, least. Are teams that consistently put up wins, yep. um, or if not wins, very strong performances. Very good numbers very, very most weeks. Yeah. And you have some teams that don't quite pull that off. You know, we, we spoke about uh, Philly versus Florida. Florida, who aren't a bad team, Not but they've only got way. a handful of wins. Um, you've got teams like Philly themselves, who right yep. now are kind of um, upper middle of the table, but they just don't quite always manage it. I mean, as a, as a, as a shock fan, I am yeah. painfully aware of what happens when teams are not consistent. Yeah. And again, a lot of these teams, I mean, it's easy to say these teams have world-class Overwatch players, because that's true. Yeah. But you've got these teams who have in- individually incredible players. You know, you look at the Shock, you look at Dante, you look yep. at Baby Bay, you look at these players who are incredible players. Sinatra on Tracer. Yeah. And yet, the team isn't necessarily putting up wins. No. And you kind of look at it and you go, how are they not? Because they are so individually talented. Yep. And it's weird when you see a team like the NYXL and... This is this episode will feature spoilers for the Philly New York Excel game, so just be bear that in mind. Um, it was a team. It was a game where Philly just couldn't quite put it together. No, they they started off with a uh, a strong performance in the first map, Blizzard World. Yep. But ultimately, it was you know they got the payload ninety percent of the way where they needed to, but they lost the map. And then after that, it just didn't really work out for them. And I don't know quite why. Yeah. Because Philly is one of the few teams that have beaten the NYXL. And they were in there with what would arguably be a you know well, a very very strong lineup for their team, and yeah, they couldn't put it together. Yeah, it's a really really strange one. You know, the the difference between a win and a loss in Overwatch is not that big. You don't need to absolutely dominate a team if you can just last that bit longer, move that little bit quicker. You can win, particularly at this kind of level where they're all so very very good. But it's fascinating to see. You know, you get these almost this mode of kind of traction, this thing whereby people just can't quite seem to make something work or things go brilliantly and they just kind of run straight through. They just kind of snowball through both of those points. They just kind of dominate their way through. Um, and when it doesn't quite work, there's a lot of different reasons that could be. It could be a, a coordination thing. It could be you know the, the chat. Were they talking effectively? Or it could genuinely just be that New York had the edge on them by a small amount and that just stopped them. And the thing is, the more that that goes on in more of the games, in more of the rounds in a single game, that just gets more and more frustrating when you just can't quite make that work, when one of your team just gets picked off at exactly the wrong moment because one team just has you kind of pinned a little bit more then you can kind of manage to flip that. Yeah. And you mentioned there the term snowball. Yeah. I want to come on to that because, again... uh, most of my frame of reference is Fusion game, so again, mm-hmm. apologies, but Fusion, Dallas Fuel, uh, earlier in the previous week. And that was a game where uh, Philly went up in the map Hanamura, a map which traditionally they're very, very strong at. At yeah. this point in the season, they were 7-1 and one on Hanamura. Um, or, sorry, possibly the stage. I'll double-check that. But they went up against Dallas Fuel, and Dallas went into point A on Hanamura. They took it very quickly. Yeah, And then without having to regroup without having to respawn without having to change hero they immediately rolled through the gap and onto yep. point b so an, ab- an absolutely classic snowball and really philly had no way of, of stopping that so when we talk about that what are the kind of what are the kind of things we look for when you see a team 
who have that kind of ability to snowball into the next point. Definitely. You know, the, the term kind of snowball, we, we think of, you know, a small packed bit of snow and then kind of rolling down the hill and building momentum, becoming bigger. You've probably seen it in cartoons lots and lots of times as a kid, but the snowball just gaining momentum and barreling down the hill. And when we think in a game of Overwatch, what we're talking about is when you've taken one point, can you quickly get on to the second point and do damage very quickly and kind of hit really hard on most of these points the attackers the people in their attack round they're going to need to take a longer stretch of time to get to that point whereas the defenders actually they're going to be quite near their point their spawn's going to be quite near where they need to get to in most cases that tends to be the case there's some that are further some that are less but in most it tends to be pretty much straightforward and in terms of snowballing what you're doing is you need to have most of your team for starters if half of your team has died taking that first point you're not really going to be able to snowball that well because you're only going to have three people to attack the next one you're probably going to get wiped by the other team but if actually most of you are up five or six of you are still up and ready to attack and can move quickly if you happen to have a fast moving character like a lucio that can boost everybody else around you if you can get those alive six people to that second point fast you may be able to beat a couple of their team who might still need to respawn. You might be able to beat some of them to the point. But the point is you're going to get there so quick that they're not going to have time to kind of prepare. Torbjorn's not going to build his turret. They're not going to set up their positions. They're not going to set up the forward position. You'll have pushed them right back to fighting on the point itself so quickly that you need to do less work to take the point. It's yeah. such an advantage. Yeah, you're right. And I suppose if, if they can get there so quick by the time the defenders are only at their point, then realistically, they've only got to win one, maybe yeah. two fights consecutively to capture that point exactly. and take it out. Because if they get there, if they manage to take out the other team without taking a loss or maybe one or two losses, yep. then they've still got enough presence on the point to take that. Definitely. And then suddenly, uh, you know, they roll out and in... You know, a few minutes they've just taken the whole map exactly. without anything. I think that in that, you know, props to Dallas Fuel in that game, I think they were six seconds behind the fastest recorded <laughs> win of Hanamura. Wow. So, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm a Philly fan. They beat Philly convincingly, and yeah. it, it hurt, but it was a great victory from them. It was really really impressive. Exactly, and this is, this is why Overwatch is brilliant to watch. It's this game that is it can go both of those ways. It's rare that you have a mixed game. You can get a mixed game where they really have to battle it out. But a lot of the time, you, you see a team kind of hit their stride, at least in one point or in one round, and they do maybe they snowball, and that's one example of them really just kind of hitting everything they need to to go. Or you see a team just aimlessly, they're just not able to get that kind of traction. And it makes it fascinating to watch. When it's your team, you're rooting for them. When it's, it's your team that's not being able to build that traction, you're commiserating. But whatever it is, it's enjoyable to watch. And that's where you get those oh, wow moments where somebody really does just nail it and their entire team sweeps through. Yeah. Well, I think that what's one thing that is kind of noticeable now at this stage where we are, you know, halfway through stage four of the first season is that a lot of the games that would have been in the first stage 4-0 victories. Yep. There's a lot more 3-1s yeah. and 3-2s creeping in, especially from teams like the Florida Mayhem from the Shanghai Dragons. Yep. Teams that generally aren't doing very well, they are taking maps from teams that you would expect to have no problem against them whatsoever. Yeah. And that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering, is that the teams at the lower part of the table, are they getting better? Are the teams at the higher part of the table 
getting a bit sloppy against the teams? Are they getting a bit tired, perhaps? A bit of fatigue setting in yeah. with some of the players who perhaps have played every game, which some players exactly. have, I think, in this league, um, which is a little shocking to think that, you know, you think about playing a few games of Overwatch at home, <laughs> but if you imagine having to play that many games professionally and as practice and warm-up and everything else, yeah. that must take quite a toll. So, you know, I, I'm trying to work out, what do you think it is? Is it is it a bit of sloppiness from the top? Is it actually you know, more strength from the bottom? You know, I, I think it's a mixture of everything, as things tend to be, of course. Um, there was a piece recently, there's an article about Shanghai Dragons, which have lost every single game that they have ever played in Overwatch League, which is really tragic to see, but it is true, they have lost every game. And their coach was actually kind of talking openly about what is their training system, because people are wondering, you have a top top team, one of you know the, the top teams in the world, I mean, maybe not in the league, but in the world, and actually they just can't get a win, they can't catch a break, so what are they doing that's different? And it turns out he was revealing that they practice about 70 to 80 hours a week. 70 to 80 hours a week. That's a crazy of amount of games. Though. That is an insane amount of games. There are doctors and lawyers and other very, very you know, traditional jobs that they may only just about approach 70 or 80 hours in a week, and they are known for being so high pressure. Yeah. And you think of the, the always-on, very fast-moving mental agility... If a doctor or a lawyer or somebody like that is working 70 or 80 hours, there is still a little bit of downtime within there, maybe. Yeah. This is 70 to 80 hours of practice. They then have to go and do everything else that they need to do in their lives. So that's a lot of stress. Now, that's a case of the Shanghai Dragons. Maybe they're pushing their team a bit harder. It doesn't seem to reveal the result yet. But if we take that or thereabouts, maybe between 50 to 80 hours, as being representative of what these teams are practicing at... That's going to take a toll very, very quickly. And like you say, you know, there are teams where players have played every single game. There are teams that need to rest that. We maybe won't go into it in this episode because I think it deserves a, a longer discussion or consideration. But there have been questions raised about mental health issues within the Overwatch League in terms of what does this kind of pressure do, particularly to a, a group of people that are very young. What does that do to them? There have been concerns where people have, have you know, had, had pretty serious issues. Um, with, with their mental health or, or visits to the hospital and that kind of stuff because of the amount of pressure that's on them. And yeah, I, th I think it is a mixture of that. I think the bottom's getting a little bit better, the top's getting a little bit harder, and to be honest, I think this is the system working. I think this is Blizzard balancing out the teams. This is Blizzard balancing the characters and the heroes with buffs and nerfs to make the playing field more equal. And what we're getting is a game that's more interesting because that map differential looks a lot different when everybody's not getting four O's. It does. It makes a difference. And i got to say, Shanghai Dragons are a team that I really feel for because yeah. they are, again, great players. You know, you've got some players in that team who are among the best in the world. Definitely. Because that, you, know, you could say that the, the Overwatch League, every player in the Overwatch League is one of the best in the world. Well, of course. Yeah. But that's not unfair to say. No. And you take out, there are, again, there are some incredible individual performances from players in the Shanghai Dragons. Yep. But they've not turned it into any wins. Yeah. And I find that, I find that a bit a bit heartbreaking because Absolutely. they are putting in that kind of effort they're putting in that work they've done everything that other teams have done to get where they are and they're they're not they don't have anything to show for it just not seeing it work for them at all and in some ways they're among some of the most interesting teams um, they can be very interesting to watch they're the first team to have a female player they've got Gaguri playing for them um, they're doing quite a lot as a team to correct this but there just doesn't seem to be a clear reason emerging as to why they aren't getting there yet. And like you say, it's it's tragic to see, sadly. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it. I think that the team team consistency is something that you just want to 
see a bit more of, I guess. Yeah. And I think that I've always said to you that the reason I'm a fan of the Fusion is because they are a bit inconsistent. <laughs> they are a bit scrappy. You yeah. know, they're the team that had no preseason. They're a team that, you know, spoke five or six different languages. Yeah. Um, it was is quite a. They, they've got barriers that really they've put there themselves. Yeah, they have these rough edges. Had to, yeah, that they've had to overcome, and to see them where they are in the in the the um, the stage right now, where they've got a shot at the stage playoffs. Yeah. I mean, they obviously have been in the playoffs previously in uh, stage two. Yeah. And yeah, the idea that they are a team with rough edges and they are a team that that kind of get the job done in a scrappy way. And yeah. That's why I like them. But then you've got other teams that are similarly scrappy, and, but they're just not getting anything to show for it. Yeah. Then you've got a team on the complete flip side of that, and that's the NYXL, a team that have been incredibly consistent, You know, so much so that we have, I think, four or five weeks left of this stage of Overwatch, and they've already guaranteed a playoff spot. <laughs> like, And they're the only team to have done that yeah. so far. You know, They're a team that have won the last two stage finals mm. you know and they made it to the finals in the first stage as well and were only just beaten by london and yet you've got a team where this that is storming through and is there anything that can be done to stop a team that good and is there anything that you'd want to do to stop a team that good or is yeah. it great to see a team that's that fantastic at the sport or can it get a bit boring yeah. You know, there have been other sports that have been plagued by that kind of an issue where there is one team that is just so much better. And I think in the long run, if that if that continues, then yeah, maybe it is best to look at why they are so very good at that. Because while that's fun to watch, sometimes I think if that continues for a long period of time, it stops being as fun. Uh, you know, baseball and football have both had these kind of issues. Um, but as, as we've said a few times, to, to me, sports is all about, are you into stories or are you into stats? And I think if you're into stats, you're going to love the fact that MYXL is hit putting these numbers on the board, wins and, and you know new extra maps and all this kind of stuff that they're putting on. But I'm very, very similar to yourself there. I, I much prefer to see a team with rough edges. I don't want to know that they're going to win or believe to a very high certainty that they're going to probably win, which you would do with the NYXL. Yeah. With Philly, you're not getting that. You're getting something where it is a real struggle and a fight every game to go, are you going to win this? I want you to win. I believe that you've got the possibility of winning and that you probably might based on what you've done previously. But I don't know that. It's not as guaranteed as it is with New York. So, no, I, I definitely prefer that same kind of opinion. Um, and it makes those those moments where they pull off an earth shadow like we talked about last week or there's a headshot or whatever it might be, it makes them so much richer because you, you know that that's going to contribute to this win that is definitely not guaranteed. Yeah. So we think about a team like New York. We think about a team that's got that kind of strength and consistency and... and you know, I, that, you can't. I don't think it would be fair to not bring up the fact that the team, the time, is entirely Korean. Yeah. So there is no language barrier. There's a lot of experience playing together in yep. that unit. Um, so they, they haven't got a lot of the, uh, or any really of the struggles that other teams might have had when it came to building a team. Yeah. They very quickly had the cohesion. They very quickly had the strategies worked out. Um, they've got players that are absolutely phenomenal in the yep. roles that they play. And I'm wondering, will we will we see anybody stop them? Because right now, it's, it's looking tricky. Well, to, to me, I, I think, if I remember correctly, I think New York and London, and I believe Seoul Dynasty as well, were existing Korean teams. 
that were kind of bought wholesale and brought over to Overwatch League. The kind of the franchises acquired them and they, they moved over wholesale in that way. Um, and having that is a huge advantage. They were playing in tournaments, I, I believe it was called Apex, although I didn't watch it myself, um, kind of pre-Overwatch League where they were professional teams in Korea competing in tournaments at a very, very high level and working as a team already. So that cohesion, that's there because they've practiced, they've drilled, they've done what all the other teams are having to now do, they've done for months previously. And that's definitely a very, very big advantage. I think what's reassuring to me is that having seen over the last few stages of the league, teams like Philly, um, as much as I'm not a fan of them because of defeats of my teams, the LA Valiant as well, even the Gladiators, Dallas Fuel, Boston Uprising, these other middle teams push up and kind of challenge, and particularly with NYXL, kind of show that the gods can bleed by, by making them lose a game or two here and there it's good to see that they're building the level of cohesion that those guys already have and you know the language barrier I think that's a very very fair thing to comment on I think it's something that needs to be talked about because anybody where it is not just that they know the same language but it, that it's their first language that's definitely going to help them to communicate yeah, particularly in a stressful situation like in the middle of the game and particularly if the game's not going well they can rally a lot quicker because the communication is a lot more fluid um, and even things like slang and so on as well these kind of abbreviations and terms that a non-native speaker might not have because they've only learned up to a certain point and you will build that over time definitely um, one of the ones that I absolutely love when we get to hear part of the comms is when you have six you know uh, adults sat behind computers screaming the word monkey 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 repeatedly whenever a Winston <laughs> appears that's one of my favourite things to hear when we get a glimpse into the chat but things like that those abbreviations these teams that have played together a lot, these teams that come from the same kind of background, these teams that have the same language as a first language, they're going to work better initially. And I think when we look to Philly, we look to the Valiant, we look to the Gladiators, we look to Dallas Field and Boston Uprising, they're the ones that I want to see doing more. Um, for me, of course, I, I think the same as you, I want it to be Philly. Um, but anybody that, again, can kind of show that the gods can bleed, that can show that they can lose games, I'm, I'm happy to see that happen. Yeah. Now, I wonder as well, I want to touch on the idea that the Blizzard Arena is a is a real physical place where the teams play yes. in front of a live audience and it's an incredible experience. However, it's in Burbank, California. Yep. Which is down the road from Los Angeles, California. Yep. So you've got a situation where you've got actual legitimate home teams. Yes. And I've been to sports events in the past and you always know, no matter what the sport, you know who's the home team definitely and you know Hands that down. because the crowd are invested the crowd are loud they're engaged there's cheering there's chanting there's yep. applause and the away team doesn't get that no never so here's the question is the Blizzard Arena is one set place yep and the Overwatch League is in its first year it's not in a position to have multiple arenas or multiple places and I'm not saying I necessarily would want that I guess sure. but it's something where you've got to ask the question for teams like the Valiant and the Gladiators, who at this stage now in Stage 4 are doing quite well, yep. how much of that can we attribute to the fact that when they play, the arena cheers for them? Yeah. Now, if you have a game, say it's London versus New York, yep. you might have a crowd that will cheer equally for both teams because they're both great teams to watch. Sure. But if you've got, let's say, for instance, someone like the, the Mayhem or, or the Dragons, and then you've got the Valiant or the Gladiators against them, the Valiant and Gladiators are going to get a bigger cheer, and they're going to get that bigger investment from the crowd. Every time. And the question I want to ask is, 
do we think that's having a difference? And do we think that's fair, really? Uh, you know, I, I think in, in Simpsons does have a difference. I think definitely. Um, every, I think every kind of uh, athlete or, you know, a, a player on any team in any sport will tell people about that home team advantage. They will tell people about that, that psychological advantage of knowing the surroundings, knowing the place that you're playing. And then hearing that kind of that the people rooting for their home team for their for their favourites, they'll tell you about that advantage um, and what a difference that it can make. I think in terms of it fair, I think it's a great question to raise. But personally, I think in that first year, I think we kind of have to overlook it. We kind of have to go. You know what? This is unavoidable. But going forward and kind of into those future years. To be honest, I don't think Blizzard realized how successful this was going to be. I think they saw huge amounts of viewership, lots of interest very early in a way that while they are, they make it look effortless in the way that they do these things because it's just so slick because it's Blizzard. Yeah. I still don't think they quite realized how successful it would be. And I think they've then moved quickly to iterate and kind of get this up to scratch and get this up to the level. But that said, going forward, I think now they've seen that. Yeah, I don't. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't want physical arenas in lots of different places. The ability to play in them regularly, maybe that wouldn't happen. But I think this is a new industry. This is a new area. And maybe even if they didn't own the arenas, maybe the franchises own them, and it's up to them to build them. And at which point it then becomes a status symbol for a franchise to have an arena. That's true. Uh, it's a great way for a franchise to make back money. Don't forget, these franchises paid what was it, twenty million to buy a franchise. Yeah, significant sum. And then they had to actually kind of obviously pay their players' salaries, healthcare insurance, living costs in the states and nice places in LA. Yeah, definitely. Private chefs in the Phillies' case for the uh, chef ID shout out there. Absolutely, one of the greats. This is a lot of cost to take on. And at the moment, yes, there's advertising and everything else, but they need another way of bringing back in revenue. And what is maybe the biggest source of income for a sports team? It's not actually the tickets. It's, you know, uh, certain soft drinks and hot dogs and food and so yeah. on as well. Um, that's one of their biggest things. You know, uh, <laughs> my dad, whenever we go and see a baseball game, always says that the, this is just a very elaborate way to sell uh, soft drinks and hot dogs. Yes. Um, and yeah. it's absolutely true. You see everybody in there eating and drinking and enjoying it. Um, and that's not to criticize that. It's a great source of fun. But you need an arena to do that. Uh, you need a place that you can do that. And that's always going to be on a smaller scale because this is a game that's going to be enjoyed in streaming video over the Internet. But, uh, you know, a few hundred or a couple of thousand people, that's still a lot that you can do. There's a lot of apparel you can sell and a lot of food and a lot of drink, but you need an arena to do that. So I definitely think we're going to see more of that. I'd love to see one in London. I'd definitely make the trip down there. Um, I'm going to be in the States in a, in a, in a couple of months or so. Uh, I'm definitely hoping to try and make my way up to the arena at some point and, and maybe pick up some merchandise. You let me know when you go. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, there's something I want to get onto that you brought up there. But before we do, just a quick thing uh, about that. I wonder, because Blizzard haven't really... And, of course, they don't have to be. Of course. So there's no reason why they need to. But yeah. they haven't really been up front with the uh, the number of tickets they've sold and, and yeah. sort of what revenue that's pulled in. So I'm, really, I'm interested to know that. Because, yeah. I mean, again, it's not my business. They don't have to tell me sure. anything. Not but I'd be all. quite interested to know what element of the sort of revenue stream of the success of the Overwatch League and Overwatch itself as a business yeah. can be attributed to the arena, the sales, the merchandise, Definitely. that kind of stuff. I'm really intrigued to know that. And I'm wondering if that's something that they will announce say. at some point. I doubt it because they are such a big company. You know, the full name is Blizzard Activision. They've got this kind of yeah, giant yeah. corporate conglomerate. And as much as I do love them for the products they make, I don't feel like it's kind of that classic corporate attitude. If you don't need to reveal it, maybe don't reveal it. Yeah, um, that's fair. I suppose, if there's yeah. no need, but yeah, I would. I would love to see that spreadsheet. As as nerdy of a sentence <laughs> as that is, I would love to see what that breakdown is um, and just how much that is bringing in. Um, I mean, there have been other sites that have literally reported pretty significant drops in traffic 
when an Overwatch League game starts. We're yeah. talking 5 to 10 to 15%, and it's a sudden drop the moment an Overwatch League game uh, starts, uh, starts being played. Um, and pretty consistently over the months as well. Whenever it starts, and boop, there's the traffic gone. Yeah. And I think that you, you mentioned about the idea of the... We talked about the arenas, talked about yep. location, talked about laws. Now, the league has recently said that they are very, very interested and perhaps moving forward with plans to introduce expansion teams. Yeah. And now, bearing in mind this is the inaugural season, yep. I guess it must be doing well Definitely. if they're thinking about adding perhaps five or six new teams yep. to the league. And I guess the question is there, do we think the league is ready for that? And again, this is totally from our players' perspective and our yep. fans' perspective. We are not uh, in there to know a great deal about the business because, like I said, we've sure. not seen that spreadsheet. But <laughs> you know, do do you think that the league is ready for, let's say, you know, fifty percent more teams? And do you think the the Overwatch League is where it needs to be yet to see that extra growth in the league? I think that while Blizzard can just write a check and pump more money into Overwatch League. What's great is to see five teams putting up 20 million for a franchise each. That shows an investment. It shows to advertisers that Blizzard wants to attract that there is a willingness to invest in esports and in Overwatch League in general. Don't forget, five teams is $100 million. That's a sizable chunk of money. That's a lot of money. And if you can turn around to investors and to advertisers and to brands that you want to work with outside and say, look, five very very rich people or companies were willing to invest a total of 100 million in us you should advertise with us yeah that's a great way of doing that and that is going to be essential to making this a more widely known sport we, we often joke about things like the fact that toyota sponsors it yeah t-mobile does that intel does yeah. and, these kids, seem, don't forget that. and these seem really strange to us because they're pretty you know the household names but that's the kind of advertising that you need. You need soft drink yeah. companies. You need entertainment brands. You need all this stuff to advertise. Otherwise, you, you don't have a thing anymore. You don't have a sport. In terms of adding five teams, I think one of the great things is that Overwatch League isn't seasonal. In other words, there is a season that we play, but it's not like baseball or football where it needs to be warm outside. That's true. Because if it's that's too true. cold, you can't play. We could play this game year-round and have a break at the holidays, have a break at a certain point. You could have this most of the year. At the moment, I feel like we have four stages and then the finals because, and a preseason because it's the inaugural season. They're not really too sure what to do with that side of things. They came up with some numbers that fit yeah. and went right. Four stages, the finals, and a preseason ace. Um, but actually, if you added half as many again teams, you would be able to play more matches or spread those matches out more and actually run it for most of the year. I think it's essential to have a break. The teams need to relax. They need to recruit more players. But you could make it more like a baseball season that runs most of the year, more like football that runs most of the year, and give people a lot more to watch. Um, and then in terms of that as well, I think definitely, you know, I am definitely not in the in the top 500 um, on, on anything. <laughs> but if I was, and I'm watching Overwatch League, and I'm, you know, 16 through 20, and I'm seeing this and seeing these guys live these amazing lives, getting paid a good amount of money, playing the thing that they love, and I'm in that top 500, particularly if I'm near the top, I'm chomping at the bit to try and get one of those teams. I want to go through contenders. I want to climb the ladder. I want to follow this path. If you're in the very, very top, you maybe want to be in the World Cup team for, for your country. You want that yeah. honor. You'd definitely be wanting to join. And if there's not a team, getting onto one of those teams might be quite tough. You're potentially going to be trying to take someone else's spot. Yeah. Whereas five brand new teams that seem seemingly would all be based out of LA again, at least for the time being, that's very, very appealing. Yeah. And that's going to make it much easier to get this influx of talent. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think that it is, you mentioned the, the brands and those kind of things. And I think it is, I guess, 
it must be successful. Yeah. You know, why would companies like uh, Intel, why would companies like Toyota, yeah. why would they put their names to it Precisely. if they didn't see a future in this? Uh, yeah. And the, uh, the growth of the league, I suppose, could only really be a good thing for it because actually you're going to allow yourself, like you said, to have more games. You've, yeah. got, you've got fantastic uh, commentators and casters who are, I guess, on staff yeah. to be there and to, uh, and to present these things for you. And you've got an incredible uh, crowd of them that can kind of rotate in and out so you don't have any kind of worry of fatigue or, or not having enough people to cover the matches. You could then, in theory, stretch it out to be you know, six, eight-month season. Yep. whatever it would be um, so I'm trying to figure out how long it's been now has it been five months something like that it yeah. started at the beginning of the year didn't it um, yeah. kind of pre-season then so you figure I guess six months by the time the stage is done but yeah if you, you add another five teams suddenly you've got an eight or nine month season yep. with a couple months of off season yep. uh, and suddenly you've got a year long sport exactly and that feels a lot better if you are somebody like ourselves who's a fan and watching it yes you know nine months is a long time but those three months are also going to feel long and you want to keep this in people's heads there's a lot of entertainment a lot of media vying for people's attention this is not a new comment there's lots of shows there's lots of films there's lots of other games and I think that's the only thing that this needs to be worried about is losing people to other games particularly in gaming the focus shifts quite quickly by the time you've gone and bought a new game they're talking about something else we've yeah. moved forward we've got E3 coming up everybody's been talking about Pokemon and Fallout this time and while those two games in particular are not things that are going to steal away from Overwatch there are going to be other things that are going to steal people away from Overwatch yeah. a lot of people stop for Battlefront 2 or for other games that have come out and God of War is very big at the minute people are going to stop playing for a while but if you have a nine month season where every week people are choosing to watch a game of Overwatch that's going to keep that game in their head that's going to give you the ability to get them to play the anniversary event or whatever event comes next. That's going to get them involved in this with all the different changes and so on because they're thinking about Overwatch on a regular basis. Um, definitely. Yeah. And so talking about the expansion teams then, the inevitable question yep. comes to the speculation of where would we put these teams? Because <laughs> right now you figure um, they're US-based yep. with the exception of Shanghai, Seoul, London... I think that's it. That, that sounds it? right. Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, let's go so, with that. That so sounds right. three international teams, yep. nine teams that are U.S.-based. Yeah, wow. Um, of course, they're primarily made up of players from way outside of the U.S., <laughs> but still. So the In theory name. is, let's say they're going to add five more teams. Yeah. So it could be six. Let's say five. Where where do we think are the sort of the, the key places to put them because I think they probably have to go international right they can't just put more teams so. in the US because no. they've kind of got that covered this is the, I mean you've always got to look for where are the players but this would make sense to me to balance and balance yeah. pretty quickly with five and bring it into more of an international sport because that's going to be a huge area for them to expand into you don't want esports to just be an American thing you look at a sport like baseball that's pretty much entirely American and Japan that's yeah. about it really you want to make this international very 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 quickly um, I mean, for us, I think we're both a little bit biased. I'd like to see one in Manchester in the UK. Yeah. Um, that would be amazing to have, like, a home team to root for, but I doubt it. You know, I, I think a team in, in Paris, maybe in France. Um, I think you raised a team in Berlin before. Uh, maybe even a Russian team as well. We don't have a Japanese team. True. I want a Japanese team. That so would be think, amazing. Let's think Tokyo, Paris, Berlin, yep. Yep. Moscow. Yep. Maybe... I don't know, maybe Rio? This sounds more like a travel guide than where we're putting teams, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All maybe, of them, Rio would be cool. Yeah, maybe Rio, maybe... Um, I wonder about the infrastructure, though. 
Um, in terms of what I, I have no idea what esports are like in Brazil. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, but that's that the question. Cool. That's the question. Considering now that all the teams are based on cities or or uh, other places that aren't necessarily linked to esports. Yep. Would you just and also some of our states? You know, you've got Florida. Yeah. You've got those kind of places that are state based rather than city. The question is, would you? Would it really matter? Because you figure they're all going to be based in Burbank be anyway. So I guess you could, in theory, just have them wherever you wanted to yep. to kind of maybe drive interest in that area true um, perhaps you know perhaps the second Korean team yeah. for the fact that there was a lot of hey, Korean players Canada um, Canada let's give us one. Toronto let's have a Toronto shout out team. to Joe Meister on the Fusion absolutely Canadian player who I want to see play where yeah. are you Joe Meister put him in the lineup let's have Toronto maybe let's have Barcelona that would be quite cool that would be, cool. That'd be yeah. lovely to see now my only concern now is of course if you have a bunch of uh, teams for other countries that suddenly you're going to lose players to those teams that have a connection uh, to those countries. Always a possibility, because isn't Because you've just named, well, we've just named three or four <laughs> of those countries, which would mean we'd lose half of Philly, and I do yeah, not want that to happen. No, uh, no. Because, yeah, what I like about Philly is that they're very multinational. Definitely. Uh, I don't want Poker going to a French team and Shadowburn <laughs> going to a Russian team. I don't want that happening. Um, but I think it'd be great. I think that you're right. It would be a real yeah. easy, well, not, not, not an easy way, and definitely not a cheap way, no. but a way of spreading that awareness, if nothing else. Yeah to those countries about this sport. I mean, because there are gamers all over the world who already know about the Overwatch League. Definitely. But they don't necessarily have something that they can identify with and link up with in that yeah. way. Help people bond with it quicker as a sport. People follow a sport and there's that whole thing of rooting for, for your home team. It feels much more natural. It feel, it's, a, it's a story that we all know of people growing up and rooting for a home team and maybe even one day playing for the home team. This gives people that quicker. Even if it's a national team, it gets them there quicker. And, you know, having more more countries, I think, will build interest in Blizzard's other project, which is the World Cup. Isn't yeah. it amazing if we could be talking next year about how great Season 2 is going and also how popular the World Cup was? That would be wonderful. Yeah. But if it's at the moment really only an American, Korean, um, uh, and a couple of other countries, if it's really only their kind of sport, why would you as a gamer get interested in, in the World Cup if you never see your team or your nation represented the rest of the season. Why would you? Yeah, that's fair. Because I, I actually wasn't aware of the World Cup mm. until after watching the Overwatch <laughs> League. And you yeah. figure a lot of the best players in the Overwatch League have played in that World Cup, so I yeah. should know about them, but I don't. So it'd be a great way of flipping that around. Definitely. And you're right, making it a, a sense of national pride. You know, I, I try and think about UK players. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I can only think of Boombox from the Fusion. That's um, about it, really. Who, who is a, a UK-based player. Apart from that, I can't really think of any. So it's kind of that, how do I get a, a sense of national pride for an yeah. Overwatch team if I don't know about it? Because surely there is one, Yeah. but I just... I would assume maybe there's not, but there the, the, the definitely is. Um, one of the one of the great videos. The only reason that I know about it is because of a fantastic YouTube channel called Unit Lost by a great guy called Stylosa, who who did uh, basically interviews and kind of followed them on the road almost uh, on the route to the World Cup last year, and then has subsequently worked with London Spitfire. But even then, it was only really his videos that meant that I knew about them didn't actually really see any of the games except for the ones that he kind of showed footage of I didn't sit there and watch them because I wasn't really into it at that stage this was pre-Overwatch League um, it's only really because of somebody on YouTube so definitely we, we, we need to kind of build that and Blizzard needs to build that by adding more countries in to get people to follow World Cup as well yeah I think, I mean, as we've seen, it's something that Blizzard are very, very serious about. Absolutely. They're very much invested in, um, both in terms of their properties and financially. Yeah. So I think it's probably a matter of, of when rather than <laughs> if for this. So I really look forward to seeing where they eventually choose. Me too. Um, 
uh, yeah, Manchester UK. That'd be cool. Still a Philly fan, but I would you know sideline with the Manchester team if there was one for definite. Yeah, they, they would have a place in my heart too. Yeah. So I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Uh, again, apologies to those who aren't as invested in the Overwatch League. This has been a very league-heavy episode. But again, if you're not already watching it, we do highly recommend it because it's a great way of seeing the game from a very, very different and professional perspective. Yeah. So do check it out. And again, uh, if you have any ideas or you have any recommendations or have any thoughts about where you'd want to put a team, you know, give us a shout. Let us know. I want to hear about it. I want to see where... Where do we think the team should go? Is there an unusual one that we've missed? Is there somewhere that you're thinking would be perfect and we've completely overlooked it? If so, do tell us. Clearly, Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Baku. Baku, one one of my favorite entries of the Eurovision Song Contest is Azerbaijan (laughs) every year consistently. So Baku, I'm all for. Anyway, uh, that's it from the Overwatch Players Podcast this episode. I've been Dave. And I'm Richard. And we'll see you next time.